Welcome to the Faith Church Peshtigo podcast. You can connect with us online at faithpeshtigo.com. We're also on Facebook. Just search for Faith Church Peshtigo. Today's podcast is a conversation between Pastor Jay and Pastor Jeff as they discuss the sermon from May 24th, 2020. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of the Faith Church Podcast, episode 19. I am one of your hosts, Jay Williams. And with me today, normally we have Robbie Helene joining me, but today is a special day. And we have one Jeffrey Clossy. Hi, Jeff. Good morning. You know what? I'm so glad you said my last name correctly, Jay. Why would I not well, say your last name correctly? A lot of people just can't say it. Clotchy. It's hard, even after you've heard it. And and it doesn't bother me, but right. I just was mm. really relieved when you said doesn't it correctly. It, doesn't it? I mean, you brought I, it up on a podcast as we start. So uh, it evidently is a little bit of a sore subject for you. No, it isn't. Okay. Do you know how early I was up this morning? I do not, actually. 10 to 5. Last night, uh, I think it was the first night it was warm enough where I felt like, okay, let's leave the window open all night, you know? And at 4.50 a.m., there was a turkey just gobbling his brains out in the backyard. So As loud. turkeys do. Oh, my. It's kind of their thing. Yeah, it was exciting. I, I had a moment, like a twinge of irritation, and then I was also very thankful that I could hear something like that in the morning. So I reframed it, but yeah, I'm ready to go. I've been up for a while. Okay, so let me let me give you a tip. And doing ministry in this area, here's something you learn. When you say you had to get up really early, don't say the time. I have learned. That's true. I've learned I, early on in sermon illustrations, I would say, oh, I got up really early, and I would say the time. And inevitably, I would get at least a dozen people saying, you think that's early? I get up at 2.30 every day to go to work. Yes. And so, yeah, I just have learned. I just say early, and then I say relative for me. It was early for me. So Yeah, when I said 4.50, what I meant was, and then you can just fill in the blank, right. that early. You could say I got up, I woke up, you know, two hours before I normally do or an hour and a half before I normally do or four hours before and then then let people do their own math if they normally get up at 3 30 then it'd be like them getting up at 1 30. see this is a good yeah. advice for me because that would not ever happen with college no. students to whom i am used to if ministering you told college students you got up at 4 50 a.m they would give you the reaction you're looking for which would be yes why Wait, do you mean yesterday or today? Do you mean you went to bed at 4.50 or you, I'm confused. Why would anybody do that? Yes. So. Well, it is yeah. great to be with you this morning, Jay. Yeah, this is the second time where it's just you and me on the podcast. Second time in a row. Yes. I just realized that. Right. And I think it should be okay, right? I think, well, it's popular demand. The people want yeah, more well. Jeff Clotchesy. Clotchesy. Oh, there you Clutch. go. Now people are going to say it correctly. So. Let me go over it again. Claw. Like imagine a claw and then the letter C. Claw C. But Boom. in everyone's defense, the E is in the wrong place for that. Uh, that gets I know. a little confusing. And and if you look at it while you say it, it's even worse. Clo-chi- I like Clochisi. So how That's does your this stage work name? for this one? I mean, are we going to talk about no, the sermon I, Basically what I do is I make fun of Robbie's name. In fact, that actually was the last <laughs> time I did is Roberto, Robert, Otis. And so now it's your name. So wait, did you have anything interesting happen this morning that should also be talked about? I don't about think so. Or? Did I? No. 
just want to give you an opportunity too, Jay. Oh, I just, I mean, I rode my bike to work. That's fun. That's awesome. Other than that, just your regular Tuesday morning fun. So yeah, this podcast, we normally kind of rehash the sermon. It's where uh, Robbie graciously rewords all the things that I poorly worded. And that's where you're also gifted in that. So I, I want everyone to listen and hear all the times. Jeff has a very kind way of correcting. It's very patient and gracious. And so you almost think he's not correcting you. It's it's so great. So he's going to do that, I think, today in our conversation about the sermon, um, which I'm looking forward to. Right, Jeff? Yes, I am. And <laughs> I, I was like, just thinking that this Sunday, like, I like the sermons every week. I really do. Now, come but on. This one really struck me. So I'm excited that I get to be weighing in with you on it and helping you clarify all the salient points that were already so clear. <laughs> so good. I don't I could <laughs> okay, not have so, said it better myself. All right, let's jump in. The first thing that I, I know that around our table after the, after the sermon that we talked about that I would love for you to expand on you made a distinction between forgiveness and reconciliation. And I think that was a really important point. So why don't you, if you could, if you don't mind, if you could just unpack that again for us a little bit, like yeah. how are forgiveness and reconciliation different? And yeah. Well, I think it. just by way of reminder for people that this podcast, we're not rehashing the sermon because we want to re-preach it or anything like that. But as we've mentioned, if you're new to the podcast, we do this because it gives a little bit of insight of our thought process of going into what we actually presented, what we left out that we would love to say in a follow-up conversation, sometimes based off of conversations we have after the sermon. we Robbie and I often on Tuesday morning would talk about the conversations we had afterwards. And, and sometimes when people bring up questions, we think, oh, I, I guess I could have said that, or I could have said that better, or I could have said that differently, or yeah, that was something I wanted to include and I, and I didn't. And so kind of gives a little bit of insight this week was even more so and i hesitate saying this because i know it'll it'll probably bum some people out but it's just me being transparent but i actually the the sermon that everyone saw on sunday was the second one recorded i recorded the first one and it was so horrible and so terrible if there's a way to combine those two words that's what it was that I thought I can't, I can't let that go. And so I slept on it. And the next morning in the middle of the night, I felt like God woke me up with some inspiration on how to better communicate these things. Uh, and then I gave it another shot and, uh, it turned out much, much better. Um, still though, and watching it again, I'm thinking, Oh man, I could have organized that better. But if people would have heard the first version, um, I think it would have been pretty bad. It was, it was 10 minutes longer and way less helpful. The first one, the one the we first didn't one. hear. Okay. Yeah. And and the one that they listened to was arguably 10 minutes longer than it should have been than an actual helpful one, but you know, that's that's for other other debates. So we <laughs> That's for the third podcast. That's for the third yeah, and uh <laughs> so so yeah, one of those big issues that came up was really wanting to help people understand the difference between forgiveness and reconciliation and how those are not they're not the same thing, but they're not unrelated. And that's what makes it so difficult, right? So unfortunately, a lot of people use a lack of reconciliation as cover for unforgiveness. And so they'll say, well, I've forgiven, but I'm just never, I'm never trusting that person again. Um, and sometimes 
that's appropriate. And sometimes it's not like more often than not, when I hear that it's, well, that person said a mean thing to me. So yeah, I've forgiven them, but we're, our friendship is over. Well, that's not really, that's not really forgiveness then. And, um, and then there you have other situations like really horrible situations, like abuse where forgiveness, like we talked about, like I, I mentioned on Sunday that you can forgive, but reconciliation, this side of eternity is just not going to be full because the, the consequences of the sin, sometimes reconciliation is impossible because the other person's in prison. And so you're never able to really, your friendship is never able to be restored or that relationship at all. It's physically impossible. Sometimes it's, it's unwise. It's unsafe that the person, you know, so when all those things we talked about of withholding forgiveness because the person hasn't changed, withholding forgiveness because the person hasn't, you know, demonstrated that they are sorry or that they want to be in a relationship, that all pertains to the heart action of forgiveness. Reconciliation and restoration have all of those things, all of those things kind of combine in that. It's all heading towards reconciliation, but those other pieces um, need to be there. Uh, I was thinking one of the easy examples that I've been thinking about is when you see people in leadership and pastoral ministries um, have moral failures for one degree or another. It seems like lately it's been a lot of um, really like power issues, power and control type issues. I mean, there have been some really high profile cases of that. And always what happens when a, when a famous pastor has some kind of issue and has to resign or is forced to resign or is fired, there's always the question of, well, when is it appropriate for them to be restored and you always have people on both sides. I actually personally went through that as a as a teenager, where one of um, one of our staff at our church had a moral failure, and I was very close with him. And he um, and so there was this battle, and and it was all over the confusion between forgiveness and reconciliation, where people said, "Well, if we forgive him, why can't he go ahead and still be our pastor? And if you don't if you don't think he should still be our pastor, then." you haven't really forgiven. But that is a really good example of you can forgive the pastor who has had a moral failure and sin, and you should, and forgiveness can be there. But restoration to be able to lead people again is something that should happen really slowly. And it always, it makes me sad when I see that happen too quickly. And it makes me sad when people say that it's in the name of forgiveness and in the name of grace, as if, as if we don't, have consequences here on earth, but God has given us consequences. That's a, it's not a consequences are not an unloving thing. Time for someone to heal and earn trust back is not an unliving thing. So I don't know, Jeff, what do you, what do you think about that? I mean, I know that's been a big deal to you. And so I'm curious both mm -hmm. when, what you heard on Sunday and what you're hearing right now, what does that make you think? Well, it's, I, I don't know. It makes me think we really need each other for one thing, because knowing when a situation when forgiveness ought to lead to reconciliation and when it when it shouldn't like you you hinted at that that there are certain circumstances where that relationship is unsafe it's abusive whatever it is and reconciliation may never come right in the way that you just described but i think for for a lot of us our circumstances are different and reconciliation is a lot of work just like forgiveness can be a lot of work. Mm -hmm. I think, I don't know. I, I think it's a helpful, 
when I heard it, I thought, well, that's really helpful, at least for, for myself. Like as I examine my own heart, have I forgiven someone? Like if this situation isn't unsafe and it's just me saying, I just don't want anything to do with this person. I'm just not going to interact with them ever again, but I do forgive them. I think you as a friend, brother in Christ in that situation can ask me like, wait, can we back up? You said you forgave them, but you want nothing ever to do with them ever again. And you know, the situation isn't unsafe. I, I just find that very helpful. Like that forgiveness can be um, a bit of an event. Like it happens in time, but it's a process as well. And same with reconciliation. Um, there might be for certain wrongs, we might forgive somebody. And then we have to, in our own heart, remind ourselves I've forgiven. Mm. Um, it doesn't, you don't always feel it all the way through yourself. I don't know if that makes sense, but that's good. And that's, that's yeah. a good help to say, how do you know, how do you know the difference? How do I know if I'm being, cause the reality is that I could withhold reconciliation as a way of collecting on that debt. I could say, yes, well, yeah, I forgive you, but I'm not, I'm not going to be right anymore, but really at my heart level, I'm doing that as a way of making you pay. Um, Mm-hmm. But that's not always the case. So so the easy answer to the simple, straightforward answer to how do you know is that's, yeah, that's why we need each other. That's why you need community. You need to be surrounded with godly men and women who are willing to say hard things to you, who are, who love you enough to walk with this, walk with you through this to say, um, you know, hey, in this situation, you know, you said if it's not unsafe, but it's not just in those situations. If you were in business with someone, if you if, if you and I went into business together, and you embezzled money, and mm-hmm. you know, and then that broke apart our business relationship. Well, I could forgive you, but then if I if I thought that forgiveness meant that you had another idea, like hey, but here's another business idea. Hopefully I would have some friends that I could go to and they would say, you know, it's not unforgiving to say I'm not going to enter into business relationship with someone who has a track record now of having been dishonest with money. Um, And that's totally foolish probably to just jump back into it. Exactly. That would would actually be foolish. But the, but hopefully the thing that comes across is we're saying you can't just trust your own emotion, your own heart in those situations. You need other people Um, Because I've known just as many people on the other side who continue to enter into harmful, unwise situations under the umbrella of forgiveness. They think that forgiving means that, well, then if I really forgive you, then I should hand over access to all of my money. Or, you know, someone that would hurt one of my kids, you know, would I say that forgiveness would mean that I would put my kids in their care again? Like, no, of course not. And so, but that's what we're saying is that it's not always clear cut. And then not, our hearts are deceitful and we're going to grab onto those exceptions and in our own mind, in our own hearts, determine, declare ourselves not guilty and say that what we're doing is understandable because of X, Y, or Z. That's why you need the community to say, "Uh, I'm not sure. Um, Or yes, you should feel free from that. I mean, I've... Yeah, yeah go ahead. Go, keep going, Jay. I was just well, gonna say, especially if you know that you ought to forgive. Yeah. Like like we know. Right. Then that's why it's even more important to have people around to be able to help check our heart. Because like you were saying, just saying to yourself or to others, I've forgiven is very different than forgiving. Yeah. And I mean you can kind of I don't remember I read this, I heard this once, but the guy the author was saying that you haven't forgiven someone 
you know, you say, oh, I won't harm them. I'm going to, you know, I'm going to withhold any punishment on my part for the action. I'm forgiving it. But if you're happy that someone else harms this person, right. you have not forgiven them. You are, that is a will to harm, which is the opposite of what love is, which is a will to good and to life. And it doesn't mean, just mm-hmm. like what you said, it doesn't mean you you act foolishly, but um, you, you're not wanting what is going to hurt them in their life. You are wanting what is going to be good for them and bring flourishing. Um, and that doesn't but, mean it's not hard. Exactly. But that is, the, that is the desire. I've thought of it in terms before where I've thought this person that um, if there's been a broken relationship, that if God, if an angel of the Lord came down and said, they, they have sought forgiveness, they want to be reconciled, and, I, and by the power of the Holy, the Holy Spirit has changed them, and they are no longer that same person, would I rejoice or would I be bummed? And I think mm. there are a lot of us that struggle with, we don't want to let it go. Like we want, we want that person to be the bad guy and would news of their transformation be met with a glad and rejoicing heart or would it be met with a, well, like a, a stingy, you know, heart. And so that's another question that we could ask with that. Jeff, you had brought up something earlier when we were just talking about, um, so we focused a lot on forgiveness of one another, but obviously the first part of that prayer is God forgive us our debts. And I did touch on that, but you had some thoughts on um, how you would have done that better. (laughs) And everyone listening knows that is not what I said or thought. Uh, So it made, okay. So in my own life, um, so we, what we were just describing is potentially when we hold on to other people's sins against us or other people's wrong, like wronged us. So we just keep holding on to it. We're not letting it go and releasing it. But I know for myself and others that I've, you know, just be, be friends with is sometimes we hold on to our own sins more than we need to. And, and what I mean by that is I've had seasons of my life where I struggle with like, okay, I just asked God for forgiveness. I believe, I think I believe he forgives me, but I don't feel like he did. And in a sense, what I'm doing in that moment is I'm holding on to a debt that I believe God has forgiven. And I thought maybe it'd be helpful if we just talked about that for a minute in case there are people listening who, who know what that feels like, because it's challenging. Um, and I know for me, um, one of the ways that I've battled that, if I start to feel like, well, did he forgive me? Do I need to ask for forgiveness again so that I can feel forgiven? What do I do? The thing that's helped me the most is to go back to clear promises from scripture that I've then memorized and repeat them to myself out loud um, to remind myself that he has forgiven me. So for example, one of them is 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It says, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's just very, it's a very clear promise. If we bring our, our stuff, our debt to God, he will forgive it through Jesus Christ. And he does that. And sometimes our emotions and our feeling take time to catch up with what is real. Does that make sense, Jay? It does. And I just think, I think the reason, not to oversimplify it, but I think the reason we struggle in receiving God's forgiveness is because we assume he forgives like we do. So we flip the phrase around where we think God forgives as we forgive our debtors. 
And so all of those objections that we brought up that you, that we want people to prove themselves worthy, that we want people to demonstrate that they really want to be in that relationship or that they're really sorry or that they've changed. We put all, we project all those things onto God. And so I know in my life, there've been many times where I've thought, God, how can you forgive me um, when I keep doing the same thing over and over again? And that's because I'm assuming he forgives like me because mm. I have a hard time forgiving somebody. I, I think it's dependent on that. And so it's very, it's so hard. Some, it's so hard for us to grasp the ways, the profound ways in which God is not like us. We talk about us being made in God's image and we are, but we are only made in his image. He is, he is far beyond us. And, and so he, he thinks in ways that we don't think. And he certainly thinks in ways that we don't like he, even our redeemed versions will not be exactly like God. I mean, God is, God is still going to be, you know, even in our glorified state, we won't be omniscient, for example. We won't be, like, God is still God. So how much more different is he than in our sinful state? And it's our sinful state that demands repayment, and it's so hard to receive that from God. And so I think we're just reminding us, he He just doesn't forgive the way that we're inclined to do. Mm-hmm. So, and he, and he, what helps me too is this, God doesn't begrudgingly do it. Right. Oh, boy. Yeah. Jeff's confessing, and now I have to forgive him. It's actually like God is full of love and overflowing right. with love and joy as he does that um, at that, great cost yeah. to himself, right? Yeah. Yeah, great cost and with great, but it was for the joy set before Christ that he endured the cross, and that's yes. part of that joy. And that was the point that I was trying to make, that it is a completely different scenario when you go and ask for forgiveness from someone and their response is, I already forgave you. It's just mm. a completely different experience than when they make that decision then. And to know that God already secured that for us, that's why he doesn't, He. that's why it's only rejoicing. Like when the prodigal son returns, there's no, there's nothing but rejoicing because the father in his heart had already forgiven the son so that now all the son has to do is receive that. He doesn't have to do anything else for it. He just receives it. And And so hopefully that's helpful. I don't know. Well, and I hope too, this is just a good reminder for us that we have been forgiven. I mean, you know, throughout the New Testament, there are examples, right? Where it says you have forgotten mm-hmm. your cleanse of sin. You've, you've forgotten. And we can, even though we we can know it and know that it's true, it's easy to, I think, sometimes forget it, mm-hmm. maybe existentially or feeling it, that we have really truly been forgiven all of our sins. Jesus has taken them. God has forgiven us. It's an amazing truth, and sometimes it, I think because it feels so basic, mm-hmm. we might be minimize it in ourselves, but it's not. It's a profound, important truth that we need every day of our lives to know before God right now, in Jesus, we are 100% forgiven, cleansed of all sin. I know I can't hear it mm-hmm. enough. That's no, so good. Well, speaking of basic... I don't know if we can switch gears. Yeah, let's, let's shift. Let's shift gears just a little bit. I did want to touch on something because right now, the, all the talk is, of course, about uh, churches being allowed to regather. And um, and if you aren't aware, if you're listening to the podcast and you're not aware that currently our, our the next phase of our regathering as a church is that we're asking people to get together in homes, um, to gather together in homes to worship um, for a lot of reasons. If you are a part of our church and you didn't get that email, then let us know and we can send out that email to you. 
Um, but it's all coming. A lot of it is coming from this phrase of the president declaring that, you know, that churches are essential. And so encouraging churches and encouraging governors to let churches, you know, gather together because churches are essential. And so that phrase, I've heard that phrase a lot. And I thought it would just be good to think for a minute about what do we, what does that even mean? You know, because mm-hmm. I think all Christians would agree church is essential. But what do we mean by church? What do we mean by essential? What is essential about the church? So these are all the thoughts that go through my through my mind. Um, so, yeah, like, Jeff, how would you define that? How would you, what would you say, how would you define the church? That's an easy one. Softball, right? Yeah, here we go. Nobody's ever I battled over coming. that question. I'm swinging really hard. Oh, I okay. Uh, I would. My favorite phrase is the household of God. So it's the people of God, and um, that means. Wait, so you're saying every, that houses are essential to it? Uh, so physical know, houses. So that? we okay. Now I see, no, okay. <laughs> I see what you did there. <laughs> no, I, that's my favorite phrase because it it includes family, and we talk about mm-hmm. family a lot here, right? At faith. And I do believe that's what we become, brothers and sisters in Jesus, called to worship God, right? And and called to then tell others about him. There's kind of a dual purpose um, to display his glory and to share the praises of creation back with God. What, what would you say, Jay? What would be a phrase or a simple way of... Well, Jeff, I'm glad you asked. Was it out of left field? No, I, well, this is something that has been near and dear to my heart for years and years. I've, um, done a lot of writing and speaking on this idea of what actually is the church. And, um, in all of those years, I've never said anything original. So I guess that's a, that's, I think that's a good thing when it comes to something like this. (laughs) Um, but the question that goes in my mind is, okay, so the government says, you know, if the government says that churches are essential, well, my question is, what's essential about the church? Like what is to be the church? What is essential to say we are the church? And what I see a lot right now across our country is people getting a little confused. Like we love to say the phrase church is not a building church is the people. Like a lot of people remember the, like, here's the church, here's the steeple, open it up and here are all the people. Did you do that, Jeff, when you were a kid? I've heard that before. Yes. I will. I will say that the visual aids don't work as well on a podcast. So you'll have to, if, I can see he's yeah, doing, doing it. it. Like I never was good <laughs> at it, but we've said for a long time, church is the people. So it is a little confusing to me that, that people are so adamant then about place for this, that it, then all of a sudden it's so attached to a building. Um, and so I would say the church is essential. And what's essential to being the church is that we are the way we phrase it is we are God's family on mission. So how do we, Mm -hmm. how do we love God by worshiping him? How do we love our neighbors ourselves? How do we make disciples? How do we experience him? These are, these are the things that we would say are essential. So if the church ever stops loving God, stops worshiping God, they are not the church. If the church doesn't love one another, then they're not the church. If a church doesn't make disciples, if they're not on the Great Commission, if they're not making disciples who make disciples, they're not the church. And so 
in all of those things, everybody being under one roof together, singing songs and listening to a sermon, none of those things are in that definition. There, it's not that those things are bad. They're great things. And in fact, when we are able to do those things, we, we should. But gathering together, that's why we made the step of even though it's still risky and even though I know that there are people who are uncomfortable getting together with others in homes, why we're saying this is what's essential. Like it's, it's essential that we are together in one way or another and it's essential that we're together in um, community. You know, the together part, like Hebrews 10 is a verse, you know, passage that people like to point out that we're not to forsake the the gathering of believers um, as others have done. And I would just say, yes, amen, 100 percent. But that's community. That doesn't mean um, the community of believers, the body of believers is are not defined by the people who go and watch the same presentation. You know, yes, it's it's not like. It's not like going to a concert or going to anything like that. It is. Or for you, Jay, if you came with me to a Packer game, for example. Right. right. We all know that you are a huge Packer fan and that would only confirm it. Lies. But actually, we know you're a Bronco fan. So if I invited you, though, and you were like, you know what? I'll humor you, Jeff. I'll come with you to a Packer game. Just because you're sitting with me in Lambeau Field, one of the, you know, main temples of, of sport worship, doesn't mean that you're a Packer fan. Right. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, I mean, that's so for sure that. Um, but I think people could gather in homes and that would still be the same thing. Like, you know, yes. I've led house churches and there are non believers that are there in the house church gathering. But I think what's important is the, the assembly of the believers was never defined by a place, it was never defined by a certain number of people. It's defined by a group of believers who get together who gather together for encouragement to build one another up, to worship God devoted to the word, the teaching of the word devoted to prayer. That's what it is. And yes. And so whether we are gathering, so we're in a church that has multiple services. We have two services typically. So we're already, our church is never all together under one roof worshiping. You could argue that when we do worship in the park, it is, but even that's not all of our people together. Um, and so whether we're meeting in two services or six services or 60 services, you know, in people's homes is kind of, those are just varying degrees of the same idea. Um, what's important is that, and I would argue even that the one another's and the community that scripture talks about in the church, that is far more, that definition is far better met when you're sitting around together, praying for one another and engaging with one another than sitting and listening to, you know, a 40 minute sermon. Um, the 40 minute, the, the sermon isn't like, obviously I'm not saying that's a, that's a bad thing. I'm just saying when you're talking about what's essential and what are the yes. things that, that we have to make sure that we, that we are and that we're doing, um, then that's what I would say that it's, yeah, it's worshiping God, but we by worshiping God, I don't mean get together with a few hundred people and sing songs. I mean, actually worshiping God together. So yeah, I, I think it's better that people get in together with in homes with people rather than being by themselves if they can. Though I understand why people are still nervous about that and I, and I get that. So we have to be flexible and figure out how to work with that. Um, but as far as a church goes, we have to make sure that we are doing the essential things to say, okay, 
if we are if we aren't doing these things and if we aren't these things then we're not the church and right now i think um yeah gathering in homes is where we can best be the church and all that it means that was a was that did that qualify as a sermonette oh maybe a little was that, bit was that a soapbox what would we call that well i no not quite a soapbox no, i think it's really relevant it's conversation that i mean even the president of the United States is engaging in right now. Mm-hmm. I mean, this is on a lot of people's minds. What is, what is essential about the church? And the passage that you referred to earlier, you alluded to, if people do want to look it up, which I think would be a great one to read in its context, is Hebrews chapter 10. And the, and the sentence is actually over two verses. It's verses 24 and 25. And you, I like how you summarized it. It's about encouraging one another, building one another up, actually uses the phrase stir up one another to love and good works and i it's it's i think we are we are in in worshiping in homes like we're we're doing right now is one way that we can as the church do that we can really relate to each other and build one another up and encourage one another in a time where we need it desperately yeah, especially when right now, um, with the way things are set up, with distancing and and masks and everything, it's uh, Robbie had mentioned I think last week on a podcast about not wanting to do half measures or half. Um, you know, Christoph had brought that up, and I think I think that's good. Like I think a lot of people are um, unaware of the fact that it's not going to feel or look like it had in the past right now. And, and so then it's hard, like right now, I would say on a given Sunday morning before all this happened, I would argue that the most important things that happened there were the interpersonal interactions. It's, it's when, um, not all of them, but the good ones, when people are, are greeting one another and expressing love and concern for one another, praying for one another, uh, discussing God's word together, exhorting one another all of these different things. That's what Hebrews 10 is talking about. It is not talking about 20th, 21st century, sorry, that's so old, 21st century American church buildings. It's What not did their buildings look like then? What did their buildings look like then? Yeah, in Hebrews, Hebrews 10 time frame, what did their church buildings look like? Well, I mean, that's, that's, a, that's a trick question. The actual church <laughs> would have been in their homes. I mean, that's the... Yes. But they also gathered synagogues. I mean, they did. <clears throat> it's important to remember that, you know, early church, they were just considered a sect of Judaism. Like it yes. wasn't. And so we don't know. But that's why we would look at Acts and Hebrews and they're talking about any of those things. We would say those are descriptive, not necessarily prescriptive. The prescriptive parts are the are all of the things of holding fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, um, considering how to stir one another up to love and good works. Like I would ask of the American church on a given random Sunday morning before all this happened, were you going into that assembly looking around thinking, how do I stir these people up to love and good works? And that's not a, that's not a guilt trip question. I like, I'm, that's my job. Like that's my vocation. Um, and I still struggle with that at times. And so I certainly, if we're all kind of separated, I, I just, I just want, it's important that as Christians, that we do not let the church be politicized. It's important mm-hmm. that we do not 
that we that we say, okay, what does the Bible say to us about who the church is, how do we function, and what is essential? That we don't let a, any political party define for us what it means that the church is essential. Because if what they mean is the organization of the church um, or the the buildings or that people have something to do on Sunday morning or a sense of normalcy, anything like that, I would reject those things. I would say that's, that's not how we define the church. Um, that this is a great opportunity for us to kind of strip away all those things that we've become dependent on and to say, okay, well, what, what actually is the church? So I'm glad you used the word opportunity because that kept going through my mind as you were describing, Mm -hmm. like even when you asked the hypothetical, do we go when times were normal before this and we would gather on Sunday mornings, it's a great question to ask. Like, did I go having considered how to stir up those I would worship with to love and good deeds that week? Like, had I considered that walking in the door before I, it's cause it's like, clearly we're supposed to be coming prepared to do that. So that's where this actually, this whole thing is an opportunity, I think to fine tune and to clarify for each of us, what is church? And, and when we do gather together again here, what, what could it look like? Like, what could we have learned from this mm-hmm. that, that things could be better than they were before? Not just getting back to where they were before, but better. Yeah, because that's God's plan, right? I mean, yes. God's, God isn't encouraging us to just weather this and then hopefully get back to normal. Whenever God brings these types of circumstances on us, he's wanting to sanctify and purify his church. And I, I just hope that we do that. And so I, I want to say that I am really thankful for the people who are passionate about the church. Um, and we can, we can disagree. I mean, pastors disagree and, and other people disagree on, on, um, what, what's the best course forward in these things. But I always appreciate when, when somebody is just really passionate about the church, I want to be guarded and protect us. Like I said, not letting it be a political issue, but let's let it be a biblical issue. And let's make sure that, that that's what we're debating. Um, and then, and then on top of that to say, so then I, I just, that phrase, that whole, the church is essential. So then we need to ask ourselves, what is, what is essential about the church? And what we may find if some people are, are willing to actually look, we may find that we've been missing, um, that we've been missing some of the essentials when we were doing what we were doing before. I think there's a lot of churches that are recognizing that there are a lot of churches who have no structures for community. Everything is based on a big event on Sunday morning. And then now that's been, you know, when that was taken away, they just didn't know how to, how to even function. So that's a good thing to, for God to kind of poke in those things gently and say, Hey, look, this is a weak spot. You know, we've seen some of those here and, and I've been able to address that in my own life and just as a ministry team saying, okay, we need to shore this up because this is exposing some things. And so I, I think it's God's goodness that he is, uh, is doing that. And I don't want to rush what he's doing. I don't want to be so quick to reject the, the uncomfortable environment he is putting us in that is meant to shape us. Hmm. So those are good words. They are. And they're even better that they're strung together into sentences <laughs> so sorry oh i wish that people I, stringing sentences together yeah if we did a version <laughs> of this podcast i would insist 
that it's that the people don't see us; they only see Christoph and his reactions. I think that would be a great YouTube channel. It would I just agree. be our voices and then Christoph reactions. It would be my favorite. I think people I like it. He's, he's such encouraging responses to you. <laughs> yeah, like to you, he's always like smiling and nodding, and every time I start talking, he freezes, and then does the head, head tilt. I think that's just the internet, Jay. Is that the internet? He's freezing yeah. on Zoom. Yeah. So, all right. Well, Thanks I for, think that's uh, the conversation, Jay. Yeah, I think I think we have we. If that does not uh, elicit some email responses, I don't know what will. Doing our best. Um, I knew if I brought you on, things would get more controversial. That's why I knew. Oh, yeah. Yes. Because when I think of Jeff (laughs) Clochisi, that should be your stage name, by the way. Jay Clochisi. No. That's your, that's like your stage name. Your DJ name. Oh, yeah. Yeah. DJ Jazzy Jeff. No. No. Come on. No. That's old. No. And the Fresh Prince of. Yeah. Oh, no. Different. Jeff Clochisi. I like it. (laughs) So, on that note, I think we'll wrap this one up and put everyone out of their misery. And Christoph is vehemently nodding. So we have the encouragement from the peanut gallery. So we will wrap this up. Thank you for taking time to listen to this podcast. And uh, if you want to leave a review so other people, it helps people find it more easily. And uh, we've got, we've got two a week. And so look forward to the next one. And we will talk to you soon.